0: Uh, thank you for everyone who's just tuned in. Welcome to the Buy Association podcast. My name's Katie Walker um, and we are going to be going through everything today that you need to know on property management and mortgages. We are joined by two experts in the field, um, which is Marcus Docker from Visionary Finance and Matt Easton from Eastham's & Co. I'm going to let them do a quick introduction on themselves and then we've been sent a series of questions from our investors and buyers. And we'll go through them briefly. So, um, firstly, Marcus, can you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for having me, Katie. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Marcus Docker. I'm one of the uh, senior consultants at Vision Finance. Um, so, effectively, we work as uh, an independent mortgage broker. So, we support uh, a lot of buyers from your, you know, your first-time buyers, your, you know, your first-time, uh, or even seasoned, seasoned buy-to-let investors. Um, and we do a lot of support with a lot of developers as well. So, uh, we help everyone through that journey. Um, so yeah, uh, we work as an independent whole market broker. So we do work with, uh, you know, more than 90 different banks across the, uh, across the marketplace, um, just helping people try and make sure they can, we can get the, the best mortgage deal.
0: And why do clients choose to work with you? Uh,
1: I think people generally like to work with us because, uh, here in the UK for UK purchases, we don't charge any mortgage fees. So, um, there are many, many brokers still that are in the mindset of charging fees for us. It's a very service. Uh, it's a very service-related, very service-driven, uh, very service-driven uh, business that we are. We like to build these long-term, uh, sustainable working relationships with uh, with our clients, uh, and effectively, the advice that we're giving is uh, is best advice, and that's uh, why people should be looking to work with us.
0: Great, thank you. And Matt, can you give a quick intro on yourself?
1: I can. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Casey.
2: Um, I'm Matt Eastham. I'm a director of Eastham's and Co. Residential Property Management. We uh, were founded back in 1984, uh, at the start of the buy-to-let boom. Um, and we've always specialised purely in, in, in residential property management. We work with uh, a number of UK and overseas landlords, uh, as well as various funds uh, and investment companies. Uh, we basically look after your investment from, from start to finish, from the day you purchase uh, right through to uh, the day you dispose of the asset. Um, we have clients that have been with us for... 20 to 30 years and the reason for that is that you know I believe we offer the best property management service uh, currently available in the UK marketplace.
0: I'm probably going to put the same question to you there so uh, (laughs) why do clients choose to work with you? Uh,
2: They choose to work with us I think because of our our history, Um, we've we've sort of grown uh, by word of mouth over the last 30 years, Uh, we now manage in excess of 4,000 units across the UK, Um, our fees are very reasonable, our service levels are very high. Um, you, know, you can always talk to a director of the business. But we're not sort of a big faceless organisation, uh, and we genuinely care. You know, we want to make sure that your property uh, gives you the best possible returns. You know, we put the best tenants we can in there, yeah. um, and make sure that we you know look after it, maintain it, and, and yeah, give you. A
0: Before we get into the more closed questions yeah. that we've had put in, um, I was wondering if you could both get a bit of a summary at the moment. What you think in, in your separate field? What the current market trends are? and um, and what's really happening in the investment and obviously owner occupier market.
2: Okay, yeah, uh, I mean as far as the, uh, the the lettings market's going, um you know, it's it's never been better. Um city centers uh, are booming. Um Manchester obviously sort of led the way. Um and it's still growing at uh, uh, you know exceptional rate. Uh demand is is still very high in Manchester. Um and um you know new developments come on board all the time. I think Looking further afield, places like uh, secondary cities like Preston, yeah. uh, Bolton, Leeds um, are, are quickly climbing up the ranks. Um, obviously, entry levels are, are much lower there and uh, yields are, are gradually rising as, as wage growth yeah. improves in those areas. Um, so yeah, I think you know the north is, is very strong, but, but equally, um, there's still lots of areas in the south, yeah. uh, London and, and further afield um where you can find great investment opportunities if you do your homework.
0: Um Marcus, how do you class, how do you work out compa- in a difference to yield, how do you work out the best way to get an investment or um, someone, how do they calculate their investment from okay.
1: Yeah, I think um obviously working in mortgages, we work very sort of uh, we're very number driven. Yeah. Um so I think these uh, mm-hmm. you know there's a couple of ways that people like to present investments to potential investors. So you often see a lot of, uh, you know, estate agents, some developers potentially sort of pitching the uh, the gross yield against the uh, against the gross purchase price, which I don't yeah. actually necessarily think that it's the best way to work out your investment because I'd say the majority of people, um, you know, are looking more to, you know, most people look to borrow uh, with using a mortgage uh, when it comes to making an acquisition to their buy to let portfolio and i think the way that people should be looking to view their uh, their investments is by a return on their actual cash investment mm-hmm. as opposed to their their gross commitment to that property so as opposed to working out, well, what's going to be my gross rental income um, against the total purchase price? Actually, why don't we scale it back a little bit more and make it a bit more real and actually say, you know, speak to a mortgage broker, find out what your mortgage is going to cost you every month um, and look at your, you know, if you're buying a leasehold property, looking at your ground rent, your service charge costs, um, speaking to your letting and management guys as well, finding out what your monthly cost is there. And then actually you can get a better idea on what your net return will be after you deducted those real costs and what that is as a percentage to your uh, your, your cash investment into uh, acquiring that property.
0: In your opinion, when is the right time to get mortgage funder in place when you've, when you've bought? in the residential market uh
1: yeah it depends i think um if you're buying you know something off plan for example so if you've got people that are, you know you often find that there's a lot of people yeah. that are committing to properties off plan um you just have to be mindful of the completion dates so i think is really wise just to make sure that you're staying in touch with your uh, with your agent or the developer mm-hmm. that you have purchased that property with just to get an understanding when that completion date is now. Um, uh, it's always wise to speak to your broker first before mm-hmm. you actually go ahead and make the commitment to go ahead and buy that property, just to make sure that you know your circumstances will allow you to make sure that you can complete on that property. But in terms of timing, when it comes to uh, to getting ready to get the mortgage in place, it will depend on what type of buyer that you are. So uh, you know, for example, if you're a foreign national living overseas, yeah. um, we do help a lot of foreign nationals. Uh, with their mortgage requirements, those types of buyers are probably going to need a little bit longer to get their mortgages in place because, unfortunately, we do deal with some of those yeah. lenders that can be quite onerous with paperwork and they can be quite slow. So, you just don't want to be making sure that you're left, in, you know, at the yeah, in, uh, you're at the mercy of the lender's turnaround times. So, I'd I'd say, uh, you know, a foreign investor, I would give yourself at least at least four months to get your mm-hmm. mortgage in place, just to allow yourself enough time. Uh, and in terms of being you know, a buy to let investor or uh, an owner occupier, really. I think the sweet spot is around about three months before your build completion date because mortgage offers are generally valid for six months. So if there is potentially an overrun on the completion date from your developer for the delivery of the product, at least you know that you've got three months on the other end of the mortgage offer. um, So you don't have to go back through that process.
0: In the same respect, when do you think it's best for um, someone who's just purchased property to come to you to speak about you managing it?
2: Um, I mean Matt. again, it's yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um again, as Marcus said, I think you know, the earlier the better. I mean, quite often we speak to investors before they've even started looking at specific areas to invest in. Um, you know, what you don't want to do is leave it to the last minute rush um, and end up with a, a you know an agent that isn't right or, or, or suitable. Yeah. Um so yeah, I you know, ideally the the minute you start thinking about investing in property, you know, start speaking to agents, find out yeah. what's out there, what services agents offer. Um, you know look online for reviews try and speak to other investors that have used agents um and just get a you know a good feel because you know there's a, there's a massive uh, choice in, in in agents and services and you know it's important to find one that Offers the you know the the, the package that, that works best for you.
0: So a lot of questions we got were similar and matched yeah. this kind of question. Mm. People were asking what properties demanded a higher rent in your opinion, okay. and also what properties attracted, a, I guess, a nicer tenant. Like, what's the better okay. property to buy to get that better tenant?
2: Um, it, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, there's there's no sort of right or wrong answer, but I think um, we've seen definitely a trend in um more and more young professionals looking for for two-bedroom properties i think people are are wanting to share to to reduce their overheads to give them more free cash to travel or socialize or you know that's what it seems to be about now for for generation rent it's about experiences and not wanting to throw all your money at rent um for a nice big flash apartment um so as a result of that we've definitely seen a a spike in demand for two-bedroom properties um and i think Developers tend to build less two bedroom properties, so yeah. again, it, there's, there's a slight sort of short. That's thought.
0: interesting because we um, find mainly that one beds sell a lot quicker. Um, and definitely, that, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, the the, the one beds obviously the, the the entry price point is is much lower, um, so uh, you know investors see that as a a, yeah. you know, a, a better uh, entry point. Um, but I think long term, and I think in terms of resale and everything else, you know, I would veer slightly towards two bed at the moment the way the market okay. is, and that. That does vary from city to city, and it depends on the current number of one beds in any given yeah. city centre or two beds. So again, it's important to do your groundwork. You know, look on Rightmove, uh, Zoopla, see what's on the market. Yeah. Um, you can quite easily go on Rightmove, and Zoopla, and see how long it's taking properties to let. You know, do that yeah. kind of research first. But, uh, but yeah, um, I think two
1: beds for, for me at the moment are, yeah. are the way forward in terms. I, th- of- I think you raise a good point about the the, the city location yeah. as well, because I often find working between sort of different demographics in the yeah. uk so for, you know helping clients yeah. that are buying mm-hmm. different properties in different locations yeah. we often find it's quite interesting that you see sort of the the, the two beds becoming more sort of sought after up in the yeah. northern locations yeah. but actually you know things like studio flats uh, and smaller units are actually more sought after in the london areas because yeah. people want to spend as little yeah. as possible uh living in the sort of city center location particularly in the capital yeah. like london where it is so mm-hmm. expensive to rent yeah so you often find that actually the studios are actually quite yeah sought after in those locations yeah. you know, particularly in yeah. London that's a really good point and, and yeah it's something we've seen I and mean, we've seen
2: obviously on, in the news people talking about micro apartments yeah. and micro living and we know of a couple of developers who've tried it in the north and failed miserably yeah. it just doesn't work yeah. but in London you've got people queuing up for them definitely um, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's uh, yeah good point so,
0: Marcus, can you tell me what are the benefits of using a broker v. going direct to a bank to get finance?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there seems to be this uh, perception for uh, customers who with them with their bank uh, that they feel that they would get uh, you know either a better service or they would get a better rate or a better deal or uh, or something. But um, you know, it's, it's it's great to have that relationship with your with your bank, but um, it's not always the, the 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 best thing to do. So. Um, Mortgage lenders and banks are very heavily dependent on the mortgage intermediary market. So uh, you would have seen recently that Santander made a, a, a large number of redundancies in their in their yeah. mortgage uh, yeah. in their mortgage teams because, <clears throat> effectively, banks don't want to carry you know carry those overheads by employing uh, masses of, of mortgage advisors in their branches. Yeah. So what they do, they farm that out to the mortgage intermediary market, like ourselves, the brokers, who effectively facilitate those mortgage applications. Now that allows the banks to be more competitive in their pricing because I'm sure that obviously by not carrying those overheads that they can, you know, they can afford to do more business and and heavily invest into their administration teams. But um, effectively what people need to know from mortgages is that it's not a one size fits all approach. um, And, we often get, we often find that when we make recommendations to customers they can see that there are you know other po- other mortgage products available when they're going on to go compare but i think what customers need to understand is that banks vary themselves not just on price but they vary themselves on their lending criteria and it's a mortgage joke broker's job uh, to be able to be able to make that recommendation to make sure that they're you know, advising to go with a lender who, where your circumstances are conducive to their lending policy. So, I think the it's not. You might well sort go to your bank direct, and you'll make a mortgage application. And you could, you know, you could well pay, you know, a valuation fee, which could cost you a few hundred pounds. Yeah. Uh, and you might actually find that even though you've got a very good relationship with your bank, your circumstances don't meet their criteria, you'll okay. end up getting declined and you'll yeah. lose your valuation yeah. fees. We, we so, see that all the time.
2: Yeah. yeah. People using their own banks and then being declined. Yeah. And they yeah. go to a broker and yeah. yeah. And they get it through straight through.
1: Straight through. Yeah. So I think that that's sort of where, yeah. You know where, where is key, and you know the broker can save you money. There are, you know, we fully understand that there are brokers out there that are charging fees, mm-hmm. and that's why people don't want to use brokers because yeah. they don't want to pay that fee. Yeah. But someone like ourselves, yeah. what we've done is actually said, you know what, let's take the fee away, mm-hmm. and let's make sure that we, you know, we get on side with the clients. Mm-hmm. There, you know, we can get them the best mortgage rate based on the circumstances, and try and get it through first time to save them time, money, and effort along the way.
0: So following on from that, how do you think a client can make the process easier and smoother for themselves?
1: Yeah, I think everything's all in the preparation. Um, it depends what type of buyer that you are. So, for example, uh, you know, as, as a you know foreign national, let's mm-hmm. use that as an example for now, where we see a lot of these foreign nationals now heavily invested into different marketplaces, particularly, you know, outside of London now, yeah. like Birmingham, Manchester, places like that. Uh, and everything's all in the preparations. So just making sure that, you know, you've got, you know, like a UK bank account open. Mm-hmm. So what you don't want to be left in is a situation where a developer served, 10 days notice on you and you're trying to scarp around, trying to get your mortgage in place. And and then the bank turns around and tells you you haven't even got a UK account. So everything is all in the preparation. Um, Speak to your mortgage broker early. um, Mm -hmm. Discuss your situation uh, as early as possible. So then they can advise you on what type of paperwork that you're likely to need. So, you know, things like people who are self-employed, they might require... You know uh, your your uh, your tax returns. It might well be that you need to structure your company in such a way to to help yourself when it comes to the mortgage process. So everything is all in that preparation. So speak to your mortgage broker as early as possible.
2: Yeah. And are you still encouraging uh, investors to set up a limited company now? Is that in your view? Is that still? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the way forward. Do you see the government clamping down on that anytime soon? Or?
1: Yeah, so I think um, we get asked about limited companies a yeah. lot, yeah. Um, and it really depends on the client circumstances. So it's not so much that we will advise everyone to, to go out and incorporate a limited company from the outset because yeah. there's tax advantages available for those people. It def- it really depends on what type of uh, what tax ban that you're in. So right, okay. for with all the new tax changes that are coming in around mortgage interest relief um, and you know those those uh, you know those regulations and take their full grip in 2021 um it really depends on really what tax band that you're in so these new tax changes don't really affect basic rate taxpayers yeah. it's those people who are in the higher rate or the additional rate tax bands that it'll affect And right. um, uh, you know the so it's, it's, it's not that we're just saying, rush out, go and set up this limited company. It really just depends yeah. on, on your income. We we oh. did
0: have a lot of questions come in about that, like purchasing a property via either the personal or company yeah. route. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, there's a lot of education that needs to go into that because people don't fully understand... No maybe the company side of it, or yeah. as soon as we speak about, with our clients, the potential to put down that route, yeah. it seems too complicated. I mean, is, is it a complicated?
1: No, de- definitely not. Um, I think it sounds a bit more daunting. So when it comes to the point where we do, uh, where we can put the option on the table for a client to consider purchasing in a limited company, um, it sounds a bit of a daunting process, but it's actually, the process itself is pretty similar in the sense that the underwriting process, the way that the bank assesses the mortgage is is very similar. you ask for the same documents. The the company's structure is just basically a more tax efficient wrapper. So instead of owning it under Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you own it under Mr. and Mrs. Jones Limited. So um, lenders are not looking for track record on limited companies. Um, Do you have
0: to... Be in a certain bracket to do that, though, to like, open, like, open the company to purchase
1: it? No, uh, anyone can open a company. Oh, right. Yeah, any, anyone can do it. So it's uh, relatively straightforward. You can have a company registered within four hours on Companies House. So yeah. it's quite a quick, straightforward process. Um, I think it only costs about twenty odd pounds in order to incorporate, so yeah. it's pretty quick and easy. Uh, so, you know, those people who are considering it, just make sure you speak to your accountant to make sure you're getting proper tax advice before you go ahead and do that. But um, I think people get quite daunted about the limited company structure and, and how it works. But um, like I said, that the whole process is exactly the same. Um, it just allows you to be a bit more tax efficient, which we'll touch on a bit later. Um, with your uh, with your investment, and are, are there any
2: restrictions in terms of sort of loan to value you can get with buying through a company, or is it uh, similar to to an investor buying on their own?
1: Yeah, so what we're finding is uh, a lot of people now are going down the limited company route because they can actually raise more money through a limited company than right. than oh, what yeah. they can through a personal oh, name. Okay. So uh, with the what lenders do, they apply a rental stress test calculation on the proposed rental income of that property. Yeah. And the lenders apply a stress test to that in order to uh, to sort of derive what the maximum borrowing will be. Now, for those that are in the higher rate and additional rate taxpayers, for it, using this as an example, you know, property in London um, where they're very low yielding, um, the average loan to value now in London for a, person a higher rate, additional rate taxpayer buying a property down there is on average between sort of 60 to 65 percent. Um, And most people are looking for those sort of higher loan-to-values, you know, the the 75, potentially 80% loan-to-value mortgages. And the only way to access those for those people that are in those tax bands are through limited companies because they apply a bit more of a relaxed stress test to the rental income that's coming Mm -hmm. in. So it will allow you to get to those higher LTVs. Okay.
0: One thing we were asked quite a lot um, is about the current letting fee ban, mm-hmm. and is this going to affect you negatively? Is it going to affect landlords negatively, or what's your opinion on the matter?
2: Um, I think in general, it's a it's a good thing for the industry. Um, it's obviously good for tenants who were who were being um, you know held for hundreds of pounds every time they moved property yeah. for a, a, a two pound fifty credit check. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be good for landlords. I think a, a lot of landlords didn't realise, but um, sometimes by going with a particular agent, they were actually having a a negative impact on their ability to let the property. Uh, A lot of tenants had boycotted big companies like Countrywide who were charging 500 pound a pop. Mm. Um, So they might see a flat that they absolutely loved, but they'd go down the road and choose something else where they could get a a, a fee of 100 pounds rather than 500 pounds. So yeah, it just creates a much more level playing field. I think letting agents, property management companies have have had a pretty horrendous rep for, for a number of years for these
1: sort of uh you know uh, underhand fees and things so yeah so it just creates a more pro- professional um... do you do do you think that it ha- will have an effect on the market rents though that are because i feel that yeah. yes that you know yeah it's all well and good that the government are trying to standardize tenant fees which i think but is, is it just going
0: put into the rent to make
1: exactly it so it. our landlord are you know yeah. can agents afford to absorb those costs well I, I don't think they will so are they gonna you know start charging higher, letting a management fees to their customers. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, landlords will then in effect yeah. have to <clears throat> drive their rents up. So, we're you know, invariably the rent is going to end up costing tenants yeah. more anyway. Yeah. So it's, mm. it's, a, it's a cyclical. Yeah. yeah,
2: of course. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a danger of that. I mean, we've seen it already with some high street agents, uh, you know, increasing the fees to, to, to landlords to cover that shortfall. Um, I think the better agents always kept fees relatively low. Um, so hopefully it won't have the same impact. And a lot of agents are, are, you know, are looking outside charging landlords in terms of doing things like guaranteed rents, uh, insurances, they're getting uh, money back on utilities transfers and things like that. So there's other ways that they can claw back some of that lost revenue. Um, in certain areas, certainly where where affordability allows, uh, landlords will naturally push rents up. And I think that's possibly more in the South and the North. Um, wages are, are still uh, at a much lower level than the South and the North. So. What we're seeing in a lot of the big cities is that rents are already levelling out um, due to affordability. Uh, But as soon as wage growth increases, inevitably, the minute landlords see that and investors, they'll start pushing those rents up Mm -hmm. to try and increase that that income.
0: And why do you think, um, in your opinion, someone would invest in a buy-to-let property?
2: Uh, I mean, I I think, you know, historically, property has always been one of the best uh, investment vehicles. Um, it's historically performed better than pretty much anything else, I think, uh, across the board over the last, Mm -hmm. you know, 100 years of of home ownership. Um, You know, there'll always be peaks and troughs. I think the people who do well uh, are the people that look at it as a a long-term investment. I think, you know, the people who jump in and want to invest for five years hoping to make 25% capital growth and and have 9% yields are are kidding themselves. You know, it's very difficult to time the market. You know, no one can time the market. It's looked more than anything. So I think you've really got to have a long-term investment strategy and i think if
1: you buy in the right area you buy the right thing you know over the long term you can't really go wrong it's not i think the benefit of it as well is just it's not an it's not an illiquid asset it's uh it's something that you can you know you can make the <coughs> choice of when you choose to dispose of it during yeah. that peaks and troughs Absolutely. period so yeah. i think it's not like you know stocks and shares and things like that. well well you know they do perform very yeah. well um you know at, at times yeah. um they they come with higher risks, yeah, and they I think fluctuate
2: wildly, don't they, in very short spaces of time. Yeah. Exactly,
1: I think yeah. it just it depends on what your risk is as an yeah. investor. So if you if you're you know if you have that high risk attitude, then mm-hmm. you're probably look you're, you're probably someone that will you know back something like stops and shares. Yeah. Or if you have a very very low risk attitude, yeah. then you're probably looking at you know ICEs and bonds yeah. and things like that, which don't really yield you anything. So I think yeah. property is something in the middle mm-hmm. where effectively you can look at it as a as a as a long term investment um, it's steady um you know like that's already said it's it's something that so over time or you know increases in value yeah. by taking that long term picture so i think yeah. it's uh, it, it's something to be yeah. considered and, and as i think the government
2: have said recently that obviously home ownership is on the decline uh, yeah. and by 2035 i think they said there's going to be more renters than 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 homeowners potentially so yeah
0: and if if you've purchased a buy-to-let, why do you think someone should use a property management company, V, trying to manage it themselves? Um, I think
2: um, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the first one is it's time. Um, yeah. I, I think people forget how much time yeah. uh, it can take to, to manage a property. Just simple things like utilities transfers. You know, you send the details off to utilities company, they write back with the wrong name on it, the wrong meter readings. You then spend four or five hours on the phone just getting your gas transferred from the previous tenant's name into the new tenant's name. Um, you know, trying to organise maintenance where you've got you know five or six phone calls between a landlord and a, yeah. a, a tenant and a contractor to organise times and things like that. Um, legislation is a massive one now, obviously it's constantly changing. You know, you need to be on the ball. You need to know what's happening at all times. Otherwise, you can find yourself in, in you know in, in, in real bother. Um, so yeah, I generally think a, a good property management company is is, is you know is worth their weight in gold.
0: So one thing I really wanted to bring up today, um, as we ourselves are coming to completions and a lot of site, is a question for you, Marcus. So in terms of valuations, can you yeah. explain the difference between a desktop and a physical valuation? Um, and we did have someone who's put a question in because they've just been undervalued. Yeah. And you know what what steps to take if that happens?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I think it's good just to start off on you know just the the valuation itself. Yeah. So um, typically. Valuation is just a you know an objective opinion from uh, you know, uh, from a valuer that's appointed on behalf of the bank. Now, what people just need to understand is that if they do get a down valuation on a property, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the property is worth. Um, yeah. it's just an objective opinion based on that valuer's research. Now. Um, there are a few uh, valuation firms that uh, that are out there. There aren't many, unfortunately, yeah. which unfortunately gives a lot of control to the valuers who are working on behalf of these lenders. So I would probably say there are four main valuation firms um, that control probably around about sort of 70, 80% of the mortgage market. Um, mm-hmm. So they're instructed on behalf of a lot of these lenders. Um, and effectively, what people need to understand is that these valuers are—they're uh, not paid to take risk. Um, they're completely separate companies. They're not—they're not valuers that are owned by the bank. They're third-party companies. And effectively, um, back in when we had the financial crisis, uh, a lot of these valuers uh, were, were sued um, against their yeah. professional indemnity insurances. So. What we're finding that a lot of these value is during this uncertain time politically, economically at the moment is that they're taking a very cautious approach in their appraisals um, because they don't have to go over and above um, you know, where, where they feel the market values are. So what they're finding is I think what the, the key thing for people to do if you are buying a property. Is try and do your research for the valuer. Don't give don't give the valuer an opportunity to downvalue your property yeah. if you've got some really strong comparables yeah. in the area. So we, you know we're doing a lot of work with a lot of developers in a you know in a few different cities at the moment that have built out these sites and it's and, and it's all in the preparations, just making sure. Unfortunately, we have to do the work for the valuer, so we have to be very strategic in the approach. Get the comparables. So working very closely with the with people like Matt and his team, um, and uh, you know, uh, uh, sales teams that are in other developments which are nearby, to make sure we can draw some very good comparables and provide a, a you know a really good pack to these valuers that go onto site uh, to make sure that we can back up and, and justify the values that you've purchased. That, um, but people just don't need to worry if they do get a down valuation. I think the key is to go and speak to a broker who knows what they're doing because what they'll be able to do is maybe resubmit that application to yeah. possibly another lender who uses a different valuation firm yeah. who will likely probably, you know, give you a, a different outcome on, on, on the valuation itself. So I wouldn't sort of say what, you know, take what they say as gospel. Yeah. Uh, you can always uh, speak to someone and, and get another opinion. Are
2: there any um, mortgage lenders at the moment in particular that are down valuing properties is it (laughs) (laughs) to be wary of? Uh,
1: Without naming people yeah uh, I think there are some valuers that are more cautious than others Um, and I think we are mindful of that particularly in the new build space Uh, so we try to sort of uh, you know just take a measured approach when it comes to doing mortgages on the sites so, so you could so, guide investors yeah. towards another lender if you felt there was a danger of yeah of, yeah i mean our, our advice always has to be transparent yeah. so we'd have to give you know obviously we work in a regulated industry so we have to make sure that we give uh, best advice mm-hmm. to the customer to make sure it's you know but but just to make sure that the customer understands the advice that they've yeah. been given and why we would be recommending another lender mm-hmm. because the rate ultimately might be a bit more expensive than going with a cheaper yeah. lender who yeah. uses a valuation of firm who is let's say a bit more mm-hmm. cautious yeah so, um, but yeah, I would say, that, you know, that that's sort of the, the, the lowdown with valuers at the moment. And with regards to what types of valuations that they carry out, just bringing you on to the yeah. other point that you raised about desktop versus, uh, you know, on-site appraisals. I think that what developers and, and customers need to be made aware of, and this all comes back to the timings that we discussed, is that we don't want to give valuers that opportunity to downvalue that property because if we give valuers the opportunity to value property off plan, Mm -hmm. um, there can be a tendency, particularly on the new build area, for valuers to value on a pound per square foot basis. Um, And it doesn't really give the value of the opportunity to see the quality. If you've bought a really good quality product with all the bells and whistles, it doesn't really give the value of the opportunity to see what type of finish that property is uh you know what sort of mod cons are going to be in that apartment in order to justify that property's value so you're more likely to get a down valuation on an off-plan uh valuation as opposed to uh, uh you know a valuation that's carried out in the right time frame uh, where a valuer can walk on the site without any ppe and actually have a look around the, the property and and you can give him all the justification in order to value that property is the there are certain
0: things that the property developer should take into account which the you know the valuation companies do to to help the completions? yeah
1: i think um and this is an area that we've been very successful in, in as, as yeah. a firm um we sort of tend to specialize in this area with supporting developers um and yeah i think that there's a you have to take a very strategic approach and it it varies on a development by yeah. development basis so what we would do is as specialist new build brokers is actually sit back we would have a look at what types of buyers have bought in that development um mm-hmm. uh, who have they been sold to um what are the stru- what are the terms of the sales? So things like, you know, there's a lot of legislation in, the, in in the press now around onerous ground rents. Um so this is an area which is which is very hot at the moment where, you know, ground rents at exceed yeah. 0.1% of purchase price are, you know, are considered onerous. Um, and a lot of these people who've exchanged off plan. Um, may find themselves caught in a caught in a trap where they've bought something where the ground rent exceeds that, and they can't and they struggle to get mortgages. So, what we would do uh, with the developer we would actually sit down and, and, and devise a strategy around the types of buyers that they've sold to, who they are, where they are, are they you know, yeah. are they overseas? Uh, and then you know work with their team of people you know people like by association and and and, and, uh, and Matt's team effectively we would sit down and get the rents and the uh, and the market appraisals on those units and we would try and carry out like a pre appraisal process on that development prior to actually starting the mortgage application to get an idea of how likely uh, we are to get these uh, to get these through right.
0: Because of certain political things, I'm not going to mention, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the market is seen slightly uncertain at the moment. How Have you found that's affected the interest rate or, or do you think the current mortgage interest rate is strong? Um, and and the, I guess the same with rents, but I mean, I'm quite yeah. curious. As, 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 do you think it's affected the mortgage interest rate?
1: Or um, I think that there's a, a, banks are competing fiercely on... On customers for new customers, I think banks are not very good at keeping their existing customer base because yeah. you often find where people come to the end of their fixed rates, uh, they offer product transfers which are generally more expensive than their initial fixed rates. So banks are not very good at keeping the customers. But so there's a huge remortgage opportunity out there. But what we are seeing is that uh, you know buy-to-let rates are very, very competitive still. Yeah. So you can you know you can get you know buy you know buy-to-lets in the personal names sort or of sixty-five, seventy percent loan to value from around about one and a half percent still. Right which just wow. goes to show that, yeah. you know, yeah. it's it's still, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's a very, very cheap, that's income. very competitive, that's sort of quite comparable to residential rates. Yeah. So, you know, buy-to-let rates are sort of 1.5%. We are, for those that are in, investing under the limited company structure, um, even those rates are actually falling as well. So where we, with the tax changes being announced, um, you know, a couple of years ago now, uh, you know, Limited company buy to let rates were around about sort of around sort of four, four and a half, five percent area. Now we're finding limited company rates around sort of the high twos. Okay. Um, which is, which That's just goes to show expensive. there's, yeah, there's a lot of people sort of competing for that new yeah. business. So, yeah, I can't see, you know, rates moving massively. I think that we need to be. Whatever happens here in the UK, I think what we need to understand is that we want to attract investment here. And the the only way to do that is to make sure that, you know, we can be competitive from a, you know, from a tax perspective and also making sure that we can borrow money, uh, you know, cheap as well. So I think that's what we need to consider.
2: Do you ever think we'll see a return
1: to the days of kind of 90, 95% buy to let? Mortgages, (laughs) (laughs) No. Mortgages <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. I, I can't see uh, I can't see us going back okay. to those yeah. high, yeah. high LTV mortgages on the buy to let side. But I mean still there are some very uh, you know, there's some very good LTV mortgages still available for buy to let investors for those people who are buying property with the correct yields. Um so we are seeing some specialist lenders go up to, as far as eighty-five percent on buy to let. Um, rates are not competitive, of course. Obviously, the higher that you go at the LTV yeah. scale, but you know you're probably looking sort of five, five mm. percent uh, plus in those sorts of LTV bands. But if you've got a fantastic investment which yields you some, you know, some great returns, yeah. I'm sure you could probably still make that work for you.
0: So, where do you think is currently achieving high rental yields, Matt? Um, or where think, are you finding? Any yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, I mean, I
2: think the highest price? yields are are in the north. Yeah. Um, you know, entry price is the lowest. I mean, you can you can pick up property for for. You know, peanuts in certain areas up north yeah um and i think that's probably going to be the trend going forward um because of the low price entry point and mm-hmm. and obviously the expected sort of wage growth that we're hoping to see over the next few years um but you know it's not always about yield um you know you've got to look at capital growth as well yeah um, even further down the line, when you come to dispose of the asset, yeah. you know how easy it going to how easy is it going to be to get rid of? Yeah. You know, yeah. one of the main things that people forget about is that at some point they're going to want to sell it. The um, exit strategy. Exit strategy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing how many people don't factor that in. So uh, yeah, it's, uh,
1: we see we I'm coming across more and more at the moment as the North is developing and becoming yeah. more of an attractive area yeah. for people to invest now. Uh, you know, as an area, we I'm seeing more and more people that are investing in sort of you know thirty. 40 50,000 pound properties yeah. and actually because it's cheap it doesn't necessarily mean it's right um, yeah. because i think like you just clearly said it needs to be saleable it yeah. needs to have a, you know a good market yeah. a good marketability to get a tenant in there as well but even from you know just bringing it to the mortgage perspective it's actually very difficult to get mortgages for properties of those values um, because a lot of value, a lot of banks have minimum property valuations they have minimum loan sizes oh, right, as well okay. I didn't know that, right. so yeah so we often find yeah. that some people that are going up into into these northern yeah. counties and buying properties for you know 40 50 grand actually yeah. can be quite difficult to finance as well so uh, yeah it's just just because it che- it's cheap sometimes it doesn't mean it's no. always right no.
0: One thing um, we want to touch on as well, as we've had a few questions come in, obviously with off plan, sometimes people can purchase two, three years in advance mm-hmm. of the site completing. Mm-hmm. So within that time, you can sometimes get contracts that have been reassigned. So someone's purchased right at the beginning, yeah. and then they may choose to sell that before the project completes. Does that affect financing at all, Marcus? Or can people get mortgages on those contracts that have essentially been flipped by... The first
1: yeah purchasing. um so assignable contracts were very popular back in sort of 2007 2008 um and obviously the market lost control back then um so they were very very popular and those, uh, you know the bank's experience from those days was that a lot of you know they did have their fingers burnt um, yeah. the banks lost a lot of money um so what we often find now is that a lot of lenders don't lend on assignable contracts because because of what happened now yeah. um what we have seen is it, it, it isn't impossible um, to get finance on an assignable contract so it's not completely impossible but it depends on what type of buyer that you are Yeah. so for example if you are a residential or a prospective residential homeowner um, that wants to buy an assignable contract for yourself um, for yourself to live in um, there, there are there are mortgage options available, but what people need to understand is that you are not going to have the whole choice of the market. And this is where a specialist mortgage broker will be able to support you with that. Um, so typically what, what you'll see for people who are buying uh, assignable contracts for residential use, um, the bank will typically lend against the original purchase price. So for example, whoever bought the property first from the developer Um, Disregarding any uplift in profit from that original buyer, the bank will only lend against the original purchase price. And that's generally around about sort of the 70% figure. So that's on the basis that you're owning it yourself to live in. Mm -hmm. Um, The other option is for people who are purchasing it for a buy to let investment purposes. That becomes a bit more difficult again. So there are really, really not many lenders that will do it, unless you want to go to your sort of your tier three lenders, which are you know your bridging finance companies or your your you know your 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 expensive buy to let companies, which will do it. Uh, And again, they will only lend a certain percentage against the original uh, original purchase price. But uh, it it can be done. I think what you need to sort of weigh up is you know is it you know is it worth it? I think that's that's what that's what needs to be considered. Okay
0: one thing i want to speak about as well is the help to buy scheme so a lot more developers now off-plan developers are getting involved in this and you know helping those first-time owner occupiers get on the property ladder which is great yeah i think there's a massive lack of education in the marketplace on this help to buy scheme though and who is eligible who can partake? Because something that surprised me, um, someone sent a question in saying that although they live in the UK, they're they're not actually a UK passport holder or UK citizen, so they can't partake in scheme, which is not right. Um, So can you touch slightly on on, on that and who is eligible and who can can take part in the scheme
1: yeah definitely uh i mean help to buy is a really is a fantastic scheme that needs to be taken advantage of while it's here um fortunately the government have now extended yeah. that until 2023 now which is great but they've uh they've become a bit more strict, strict on the terms yeah. on how that they offer that so uh, what i'll do i'll sort of talk about it currently and then what those changes are going to be so effectively um help to buy you know, depending on where you're buying. So there's two types. So uh, there's help to buy London and then your, your yeah. standard help to buy. So generally, if you're buying in a London borough, um, the government will lend you up to 40% of the value of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interest-free for five years. And the contribution that you would need to make is as little as 5%. So effectively, what you've got is, is a 45% deposit and you can borrow 55% from the bank. If you buy an outside of London, that equity loan that you borrow from the government is reduced from 40% down to 20%. Mm-hmm. So again, with your 5% deposit, you now have a 25% deposit and you will borrow 75% from the lender. Now, um, it really is a good scheme and what we are seeing, there's still a lot of transactions happening in the marketplace using help to buy because... There really is a couple of advantages that people need to consider when when using this, and one of the main advantages that we often find is that people can actually afford to buy a property, uh, more you know, a higher value property, using help to buy when compared to just buying a property under standard terms just under a standard mortgage so from an affordability perspective it might actually help those people that are going out buying a property for residential use so instead of just making that foot putting your first sort of foot on the housing ladder to buy maybe uh you know a studio or a one-bed flat using help to buy actually might allow you to buy that that three-bedroom terraced or uh, semi-detached in order to avoid you having to sell that Property initially, and then pay the stamp duty again in order to to buy the house. That when you you know when your position changes. So I think that that's one of the factors that need to be considered. But um, the second thing as well is also the interest rates that are available to people on help to buy. So um, you know, looking at a trade off, for example, if you've got a client that's uh, you simply just got a five percent deposit. You know, a, a 95% mortgage interest rates, you're probably looking around about sort of three and a half, four percent maybe more than that, depending on what type of lender that you're looking to approach. Whereas, you know, using help to buy, um, there's interest rates available from as low as, you know, 1.6%, which is mm. a huge, huge yeah. savings. So what it allows you to do is actually build up a lot of equity quickly in that property. Um, to allow you to sort of pay down that mortgage very quickly, so not only is your monthly payments a lot more affordable on a month by month basis, uh, you're not paying heaps amount of, of, of interest costs on your monthly mortgage that you are paying, um, and and it means you you know you do own a hundred percent of that property. So uh, you know all the government are doing they're just taking an equity stake in, okay. in 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 your property. But I think you know a huge advantage in addition to those, which I think people don't often catch is that the equity loan that you're borrowing from the government actually moves with the value of the property so i often get people say, oh well you know if the property value increases by 100 grand then i've got to give 20 of the of the profits to the government and yes that is absolutely true but i think what you need to look at is sort of wind it back a little bit and actually have a look in how much you're saving in interest costs yeah. compared to paying that four percent interest rate is if you would buy using just a traditional mortgage but just looking at the flip side of the market, because we are in a very uncertain time politically, economically, like we yeah. all know at the moment. Yeah. And you know, if there is a chance that the property value does decrease, the equity loan that you've borrowed from the government also decreases. Yeah. So actually right. it works on the contrary. So yeah. there could be a position if you have a five year plan and staying in that property and let's yeah. say market values drop by, say, 10% in the next two years, if that were ever to happen, um, technically speaking, you would actually end up paying less back to the government than what you borrowed. So it's a good way of sort of hedging your bets, hedging your risk in the housing market instead of being 100% responsible for any losses and decreases in market valuations. Actually, you're only, depending on where you've bought, you're actually only slightly geared into that that investment yourself when you buy it.
2: So, I mean, I've personally not got much experience with the help to buy, but with the government loan, how long have you got to repay that loan?
1: Mm.
2: And, and, and what happens at the end of that period? If
1: you yeah. So, the the equity loan, um, in, in theory, you can actually borrow for up to twenty five years. Oh, so, okay. uh, you right. you can actually borrow that money from the government for twenty five right. years. But um, basically, for the first five years, that that equity loan is 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 free of charge. So, you don't pay any interest on it. You don't make any capital in uh, so any capital payments back during that five year period. Um, so, people tend to make, you know, make a sort of five-year plan on the equity loan. Yeah. So, they, they have plans from really from year six onwards in order to make those repayments. Now, I often get asked from people, you know, well, what do I do after five years? What are my options? How, how do I get yeah. out of help to buy? Um and it's, it's it's quite simple. I think that there, there are a few options. So, um, you know, typically speaking, people really should be saving. So, what they're saving on their monthly payment, they should be really... Looking to make efforts to make any disposable income and save that up in you know in an interest-bearing yeah. account. So, when it comes to the maturity date, if you want to uh, you know redeem that equity loan after the five-year interest-free period, then you've got a lump sum there which you can try and clear down part of that loan. Um, some people look to potentially look to sell their properties at the end of the five-year yeah. period. So, um, you know, they might just say, "Well, do you know what? Actually, we've been here long enough now." Yeah. Now's the time because our you know life circumstances have changed. You might have kids or a family or And whatever. at that
0: time, they don't repay the government what they've borrowed. They pay them the percentage. So if the property has gone up or down.
1: Yeah, so the, the property will be revalued at yeah. the point of redemption. So it'll be revalued when it comes to clearing it off. So they'll be able to get an understanding of what that property value is. So yeah. this is going to be actually quite an interesting area when all these equity loans yeah. come up to, for renewal because the market conditions at the moment where is quite common sometimes for down valuations in yeah. different market areas, we've got banks, which is in their interest to the down value yeah. properties, but actually now we're going to find, is it in the government's interest to boost up values yeah. because they want their profit. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how those values stack up. But um, but yeah, so I think, you know, that there, there are a couple of the options that that people should be looking at, you know, if, if they look to sell them, uh, you know, they have to pay off that equity loan they can't leave it outstanding. Um, yeah, or, you know, the, the, the third option is, depending on what market conditions are like at that time, um, it could well be, you know, if interest rates do increase in the next five years, it could well be cheaper because from year six onwards, you are going to pay interest on that loan. And that's at, you know, 1.75% plus RPI plus 1% at the time. So it could well be cheaper for you to borrow, continue to borrow from the government okay. loan than actually remortgage and borrow from the bank. Right, so okay. it could be in your interest to to actually leave right. that run, and that would be part of the service that really your mortgage you you know your yeah. mortgage broker should be doing when it comes to appraising uh, your position at the end of the help to buy equity loan scheme that's right. That's really what they should be looking to do
0: okay. and at the moment, obviously, also what's getting a lot of press is the government announcement about the plan changes to the eviction process, so what do you think? What's your advice, I guess, if, if section 21 is abolished, or do you think they are going to? Um,
2: I think now that they've said it, they'll, they'll follow through with it. Um, yeah. I hope there's a, a decent period of consultation prior to them abolishing it with industry experts to make sure that something is put in place um, that will still allow landlords to evict for non-payment of rent damage to properties, you know, if they need to sell, um, which I'm sure they will do. Um, but yeah, it's a, a bit of a storm in the teacup. I think generally landlords don't evict tenants uh for any other reason than not yeah. paying the rent, damaging the property. You know, it's a it's a bit of a a vote winner, I think, yeah. for, for, for aimed at generation rent. Um but yeah, I don't think there's anything to worry about. And I think landlords will always be protected in terms of being able to evict tenants if they need to do that. Yeah.
0: So for those who are listening who've never really heard yeah. the term generation okay. rent
2: so
0: <laughs> <before>. far <laughs> or if they if yeah. they haven't, what yeah. what have you what do you how would you explain generation rent?
2: Um I think it started um probably 20, 30 years ago. Um, and it was uh, at the start of the uh, house price um, boom back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. I yeah. think people became priced out of the market. You know, every generation before that, it was taken as granted that you would buy a property. Yeah. You know, you got married at 20, had kids, bought a property, and, and that was it. You were kind of set up. Um, with each generation from that point onwards, prices have got steeper and steeper, um, you know, inflation's got higher, the cost of living has got higher, um, and it's now no longer, um, you know, standard practice to, to buy a house in your 20s. So people began renting. Uh, yeah. At the start, there were, you know, private landlords who, who, who rented out, you know, terraced houses, small flats to, to young people. Um, since then, it's it's grown and grown, and more and more, um, you know, landlords have, have come into the field, and the government are now pushing institutional investment yeah. by means of build to rent. Um, and Generation, it's rents
0: all... almost become like the target tel- tenant. I think really. Yeah, I mean
2: it's yeah, it, you know, it's growing and growing. More and more people are in that position, and, and I think to a certain extent now, maybe younger generations aren't as bothered about being homeowners. Yeah. Um, I, I know the government are saying yes, they are, but there's been lots of surveys to say, well, actually no, you know, we like that we like flexibility. flexibility yeah. We like to be able to move around the country. You know, they, they, a lot of them don't work in offices anymore. Um, they can live wherever they want and, and mm. work online. So um yeah uh, uh, and obviously that initial phase of generation rent and now older they're having children they're moving into the suburbs uh by renting three bed semi detached houses so that's, that's boosted that market mm-hmm. leaving you're the even, city so
0: you're even finding that it goes to to houses as well as flats
2: yeah i mean right the way through i mean you know i think generation rent will encompass you know retirees before too long you know yeah. people are yeah people may never own um but as long as they have that long term stability and and um, you know the right quality of accommodation uh, you know i don't necessarily think it's a it's a bad thing you know, there's a lot to be said for not having a, a big mortgage hanging around your neck
0: yeah so yeah. i think we've pretty much covered every question that's come in okay. in some way or form <laughs> um so we'll probably wrap up but thank you so much for joining us today no, thanks um, for having us. i feel like even thank you. i've learned things yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> thank you. i think people have listened yeah. up too so but yeah thank you guys thank, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks thanks you very much thank you